a very good morning to you. It's Money Talk. It's 16 minutes past eight. This is James Ross. And uh, let's welcome our guest this morning. And let's say hello and good morning to Andrew Ferris, CEO of eCognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, good morning. Uh, nice to have you on the show. And let's also say uh, hello to Martin Henneke, who's head of Asia Investment Advisory, St. James Place uh, Wealth Management. Uh, good morning, uh, Martin. Good morning, James. Always a pleasure. Uh, nice again to have you on. And uh, let's start with a quick look back maybe at the week and what's been going on in the bond market. Um, you know, those yields, uh, you know, have eased overnight. But uh, for some, you know, it's a little bit puzzling what's been going on here. Martin, can you throw a bit of light, do you think, on, uh, you know, what's been going on this week uh, in the bonds, in the bond market? Well, of course, there's, you know, there's persistent or more persistent than many people have had assumed inflation uh, hanging around that has been pressuring the bond market. But of course, you know, I would say we have seen what we have seen and it's always important to think about what could be the next step or what could be the big implications of these increases in the bond market. And I think there's one particular thing that I've talked about before, but I think it's still being missed and it's getting more urgent in a way by the day. We, we might be sort of hitting a wall there soon. And it's the budget deficit and debt of a number of major countries. The US obviously 1.52 trillion budget deficit so far this year was one month to go much higher than last year's 946. We have Italy as well. Debt to GDP ratio 145% now at the time of the Eurozone crisis. That was actually 130 uh, only. And, you know, 4.9% we have, uh, we are seeing now in the yield on Italian. Uh, 10-year bonds, and that's driving the budget deficit even higher with all these interest rates costs going up. And we have only seen this starting because all this debt has to be rolled uh, over at uh, at much higher rates, so they're only going to be increasing. And then, of course, a similar picture in Japan. So the big risk here is that those higher interest rates that we are seeing, which were meant to kill inflation, are driving budget deficits. And then budget deficits, in turn, as many analysts, including Alan Greenspan, even Fed, you know, um, representative have been saying, higher deficits could actually run the risk of higher inflation going forward. So it's somewhat ironic, or there may be this unintended consequence, unlike in the 1980s, where debt wasn't an issue, they could raise interest rates to 16% or whatnot. Nowadays, already, we are coming to sort of the limits. And if a debt crisis is sort of at the doors that central banks, even if inflation should continue to be persistent, may be forced to stop hiking or even look at reversing some of those action. And that means to me, um, inflation is still something absolutely not to be complacent about yet and that investors should watch out for. You know, has it been that uh, this week we've had some U.S. political um, issues with uh, House uh, uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, being pushed out by the hard right Republicans who, who used as one of their, um, if you like, quote unquote, excuses, uh, the fact that the uh, the U.S. debt ceiling, you know, is is continues to be a problem. And that amazing amount of debt that the uh, the U.S. is sitting on, um, you know, it just keeps on growing. It, could that feed into this? Has this made this worse? Well, it, it certainly increased fears a little bit of or uncertainty in the market a little bit, what that all you know, means. But the thing is, um, to me, um, had that not happened, you know, if, if we still had that previous uh, Speaker McCarthy there, you know, people would assume things are more stable. But that wouldn't have dealt with 
um, the budget deficit even now, even if there's a replacement, it still doesn't mean the budget deficit is fixed. In fact, you know, whoever is at the helm of the US and whoever is at the helm of the Fed, that will be a massive, massive challenge. And I frankly, I just don't see a very easy fix. Uh, maybe one more thing to, to mention here. Even um, the Fed, and there's a, there's a really good paper published last year, um, by the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago called Inflation as a Fiscal Limit. Even the Fed actually is saying in there they don't see an easy fix either. And basically, in a nutshell, it all comes down. And I give you a quote here. It says, when the fiscal authority is not perceived as fully responsible for covering their existing fiscal imbalances, inflation will rise to ensure sustainability of national debt. And inflation can only ensure sustainability of national debt through negative real interest rates. So those people holding cash, etc., etc., might be seeing or might be going through a prolonged period of negative real interest rates and essentially be paying for those unfunded debt and liabilities. Andrew, your views on this, you know, are, are you know, the Fed and uh, the various players in the US in control or is everything out of control? Actually, I've stopped uh, following this because I think not, not only it is a complete waste of time, but also it's completely misleading ultimately because all of it is based on really basic fundamental contradictions. And that is at the time that the markets clearly hate the U.S. dollar asset markets in terms of bonds and in terms of shares, the U.S. dollar is strong. Well, I'm sorry, you can't actually be selling off U.S. dollar denominated assets and then you simply stay on holding dollars. You know, I, 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 not only I find this uh, irrelevant, but I find it also in a sense misleading. So why waste time in trying to guess whether the Fed is going or is not going to increase interest rates and whether the steepening or relative flattening of the yield curve is going to be a precursor of some good or bad news and simply concentrate on making money by looking at the small number of sectors. And I'm not talking about countries anymore. I'm not interested in countries. I'm interested in sectors mm. and within those sectors, uh, certain firms that they are likely okay, to continue to produce yield. In other words, I'm telling my clients, please don't bother whether the Fed will or will not increase interest rates by the end of the year. Nobody knows. The Fed doesn't know. And even if it does, guess what? The markets are going to take it in a completely the wrong way. In other words, if interest rates are increasing, that's very bad for the economy, but it's presumably good for inflation. If tomorrow's correction today, we get a relatively strong or relatively weak payrolls, okay, it's whatever happens is, is have you stopped beating your wife kind of question, you know, whatever you say, the answer is going to be wrong. So, you know, this is this is uh, debilitating. And also, it's a little bit childish. Are we obsessing about this? Then? Is that what yes, you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Given also that if you think about this, it is based on fundamental contradictions. You know, I can't uh, I can't be taken seriously, uh, not markets, the markets are individual people that are, are in there. I'm not right. Okay, and I'm not wrong, or I'm simply saying, well, markets are there where they are, and I've got other things to do with my life and my clients' money. Now, oil prices uh, were shooting up, um, you know, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've seen that, but uh, they've dropped overnight, um, and you know, reflecting the sharp losses uh, yesterday as well. What's happening in the oil market uh, at the moment? What are the pressures there, Andrew? What, what would you say is going on? Look, in the case of the oil markets, I'm focusing on one date, and that is end of November, beginning of December, the COP28 meeting in Dubai. Okay, because all it's going to fade into insignificance out of the bloodbath that is going to take place there. 
because collectively we're going to find out that we are on the road to hell. In other words, there is no way whatever will be happening of us hitting the 1.5% uh, percent, uh, uh, global hitting by the year 50. And the fact that the price of oil is going up, for me, it's a good idea, okay, to the extent that uh, it disassociates people a great deal with using oil. But oil is not being used to produce electricity. It's primarily it is to drive cars. That's it. That's the main. And the main country that uses oil to drive cars is the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming a much more of a US-centric issue here. Are we on the road to hell, Martin? What do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, I do agree uh, on quite a few things with Andrew. I mean, one is, you know, it's probably not that helpful for, um, you know, average investors to follow all these day-to-day rumblings coming out from this Fed speaker, that Fed speaker, etc., 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 and more focus on the, the bigger picture and then the practical things you should do when allocating your monies. And... Um, and you should just, you know, be careful and 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 make sure you you do a few things um, in in a proper way to avoid, you know, being on the road to hell with a portfolio and being in any one thing that might really see, you know, significant uh, drawdown. So we, well, one of my key recommendations, I would say, firstly, and I've been saying that for the past few years, just to be on the safe side, you know, try not to be too highly indebted or leverage investment um, because you know there are clearly quite a few uncertainties out there. The second thing is uh, don't try to be too overconfident in any one asset class, again, because of the uncertainties and diversify. Now, beyond that, um, further to my earlier point, and maybe again, relating to what Andrew said on oil, you know, I still think there's a risk of inflation generally as a result of those budget deficits, but also as a result of some of those supply factors Mm. and risks on the commodity side. So if one can tolerate a degree of volatility and look for the medium to long term, I would look at allocating a majority of assets to inflation proof things. They do have a higher volatility short term, but longer term, they might provide better protection and maybe better growth potential as well, particularly when you look at equity, some of the more depressed areas, good companies and some of the very depressed markets right now. Mm. Now, turning to the World Trade Organization, WTO has halved its growth forecast for global goods trade this year. Uh, that's a big change. Andrew, you know, what, what's going on in world trade? Why, why would the WTO have to make such a big change to uh, its forecast? Well, uh, there are three things here. One is, of course, is the after effect of COVID. Oh, what a boring thing to carry on saying. You know, if it wasn't for COVID, my God, it really rescued us economists from having somebody to blame. Okay, and the, the recovery, the recovery of, of the trade, didn't, first was not reflected, of course, on what's happening to China. And it was not reflected also what has happened in some of the relatively export-driven economy. However... You know, my question is, is why should I worry about uh, global trade? Well, I would worry about global trade only by splitting this down on countries where net exports, I'll repeat that very loudly, net exports, the difference between exports and inputs growth is something that drives GDP growth. And the biggest concern here, which is China, China was never driven by net exports. You know, the notion that China was an economy that uh, was driven primarily by its export growth, it is simply factually not true. In uh, historically speaking, if I was to take a 25 year period, for every 1% growth in Chinese GDP, about 10 basis points of that was done through net export growth, and the other 90 basis points was driven by investment and consumption. So, yes, it is important, and yes, regional 
impact in the case of China of export growth or not export growth is important, but not in terms of GDP. You know, the other economies, I will give you a completely different story. So when the World Trade Organization says, well, we're very concerned about, uh, about the growth of exports and therefore the growth of inputs, that's the other thing that is always left mm. outside. You know, China is the biggest exporter. Yeah, it's also one of the biggest importers in the world. You know, you cannot, you can, so with the case of world trade, I will say, okay, let me open up my book and find out the economies that are genuinely export driven, and then I will tell you a story. Otherwise, they're saying, you know, look what the World Trade Organization is saying, we're all going to die. No, we won't. Okay. <laughs> Promise we won't. Andrew Ferris is CEO at Ecognosis Advisory, and joining him this morning, Martin Henneke, uh, head of Asia Investment Advisory, St. James's Place Wealth Management. Thank you.